When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome back to the show made possible as always by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well today we're speaking to an Australian sport trailblazer. Now Nathan Chapman has changed the lives of countless young men as an AFL footballer turned American football punting coach and the founder and director of Pro Kick Australia. Now Nathan's own life lessons combined with those he's learned in this fascinating foray into cross-cultural relations has seen him transform the Aussie punter from novelty to normal. Nathan Chapman, welcome. Thanks a lot for your time. Hi, mate. Very uh, good to be on and have a chat. Now, where do we find you there? What are you up to at the moment? Oh, well, uh, inside at the moment, had a, uh, a kicking session um, with the, uh, the girls down at the Tigers there. We have a little bit of a, a catch-up kick this morning. Um, got home, uh, work a little bit from home at the moment. I'm in Hawthorne and uh, doing plenty. So pro kicks sort of Juggles most of the week and then um, a little bit of work at the Richmond Tigers women's team. So uh, there's always something on. I was just going to say, I neglected to mention you're involved with the AFLW program down there as a, as a what would we give your title as assistant coach, skills coach? Uh, yeah, well, I started off as a skills coach and um, sort of continued with that, but uh, been the forwards coach for the last last few seasons, which has been pretty cool. And uh, actually just went across to the States um the last three weeks with uh, with about ten of the Tiger girls actually showed, oh, yeah. showed them around all the colleges that we that we deal with in the pro kick world. So it was a, a good eye opener for them to be a part of uh, seeing that side of things. A bit blown away. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. yeah, different world. That gave them some uh, you know some excitement and some things to work on once they got back and get into training. Now I don't want to take you down the self indulgent path right off the top, but you've been doing this for a long time. What fifteen years now? Do, do you ever stop to think, geez? This has been some sort of a ride, like, and look at all the guys I've helped open doors for to have experiences that were, you know, as I said off the top, previously largely impossible or, or, or mighty difficult. Yeah, um, I always remember there's been some little moments along the way where it's been, oh holy heck, there's a few more at training that we hadn't seen the year before, and then it was, hey, we've just got our fiftieth scholarship. Well, I remember the first three. It was like, hey, we just got our first three scholarships to college in our first year. Yeah, and so along the way, sometimes things creep up on you a little bit. Um, and I, one of the, one of the, I guess, you know, in the last 12 months, it was, it was a case where we, we knew we were about to do our 200 scholarship. So, um, uh, you do really need to take stock of your journey and, and some people that you've helped. Um, it'd be nice if we got to go across and watch more games of football. I think we'd get so much more enjoyment, but you know, certainly when we do catch up with the players or if they come back to Australia, it's. Again, such great reward and feeling to, to know that they've got a smile on their face and, and that they're enjoying what they're doing. You mentioned 200 scholarships. So how many are we talking about now? How many all up have you have you put through? Yeah, we, yeah so it's sort of like 
I mean, the number's an interesting one. So we've done over 200, we've probably done 215 scholarships all up, but some of those are yet to sort of play out. So scholarships we've done now for guys in our program who will mm. leave to go this year in July. Um, and so, uh, you know, our, and in a couple of cases, there's been um, a couple of players who've been from one team, uh, sorry, one college, and we've got a scholarship at another one because they've had to transfer. So we've been, uh, you know, we've been, and funnily enough, we've, we're, what we're trying to do for 2024 is have a pro kick alumni catch up reunion in Las Vegas in 2024 for everyone who's been through our program. So almost like, hey, let's catch up. Let's actually take stock and uh, take a moment to be, you know, be thankful for something that we've we've enjoyed or got a part of doing and, and really build those connections within the group. You've certainly built something really special through Pro Kick Australia. So that's the positive. And conversely, do you sometimes or often think back to the humble beginnings, I'm sure, when perhaps no one wanted to know you and what you're about. <laughs> we still get, we still get coaches who don't answer our phone call or send our email. Um, uh, I've got a vivid memory of, uh, so I've got a vivid memory of when I first started. I lived in Queensland, commuted to Melbourne once a week for three days every week. Um, I remember getting on the plane. I was on a, I was on a Virgin flight. I was on the plane, sitting way down the back. I'd had, I'd. Um, finished up working with my father-in-law to to do this and in their family business and it was uh the, the hostie she said oh yeah you're off to melbourne yep no worries what you doing i said well <laughs> i've just jumped into my own business and today's day one literally coming down to take the first training session so um i just remember the nerves i remember the um the feeling of i don't know where this is going to go and i don't know how long it'll go for but um, you know, I've got this sort of saying that we probably should have stopped many, many years ago, but we're too stupid to stop. And we just kept turning up at training. And um, and I guess the, you know, the reward of the numbers or the opportunities come through just hard work and, and consistent push through um, to keep turning up and make sure that guys got an opportunity. So she was a pretty, she was a pretty tough first 10 years, let me say. How do you think back and reflect upon your own thinking or mentality at that stage? I mean, are you one to to not take no for an answer or were you right out of your comfort zone there? I mean, I can't imagine how many times you had the door, you know, um, figuratively speaking, slammed in your face because you were really trying to break down some barriers there. Yeah, uh, so many unanswered emails and phone calls along the way. The You know, the hours sort of working were ridiculous because you're working on Australian time. You know, A, being in Melbourne, training the players, um, going back to Brisbane and then basically been on the phones and emails, trying to get, trying to build connections overseas and, and show off what we were trying to do. So in one instance, we're having meetings with parents to say, hey, uh, listen, we want to, we think your son can kick. Um, we'd love to train him up, teach him how to play American football and send him to college in America. And uh, and they're like, okay, sounds great. How long have you been doing this? Well, we just started. Uh, sounds like a good idea, and we knew we could. We, again, the convincing of the the parents to say, um, "Yeah, hi, thank you, um, nice to meet you. Uh, let's now look after your son's academic future." And we didn't, and yeah, you know, we don't know them personally. It's a big, big call, and a lot of trust that has to go into that decision. So, started off pretty small, um, but and conversely, we had the same deal trying to convince coaches that we've got guys on the other side of the the planet that which they didn't know about who could kick a football and we had to convince them that they'd do a good job. Because if they didn't, you know, coaches' jobs are on the line. So, um, you know, I guess organically we we just were small enough to 
only need to get a couple of scholarships to make it work and then build on that. If we had had too many players, we wouldn't have been able to get them scholarships because we didn't know enough coaches. And, you know, um, but what we did make sure is the guys that we had were going to be good enough. Um, and so that the first people that we put over there um, were certainly going to help us build uh, what we were doing and developing it. So, you know, they had good respect, good uh, kicking, um, and hopefully then coaches wanted more. And that's pretty much how we started. And then now current day, I mean, we're speaking, what, a month or so after the Super Bowl where one of your old students, if, if you like, in Aaron Sipos, is actually playing in the game for, for Philly. So that's a huge moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was in the U.S. Um, wasn't too far away. Didn't go to the game. Um, I was in the U.S. and watched it. And it's sort of, again, really, really humbling just to take stock to, to know that um, someone had had an AFL career. We had to convince them still to do the program because, you know, again, they love they love the footy over here. But then really dive into and, I guess, holistically embrace everything that had to do with American football. And then, look, one sipper got across there, um, really focused, determined, was in a massive program at Auburn. You know, big football program, big crowds. Um, we knew he was dedicated enough. So, again... To, to even just get an opportunity at the NFL level, uh, unbelievable. Two years later, well, the third season, but two with the Eagles to be in a Super Bowl is amazing. And, you know, again, the journey to get there, we didn't know if he was going to play the day before. Yeah. Um, he'd had, a, you know, a six-week ankle injury and thought he was going to be getting surgery. So, you know, his roller coaster through all that was was unbelievable. So that was our second player who'd been in a Super Bowl. We haven't uh, we haven't had a winner yet. Mitch Wisniewski at the 49ers a couple of years earlier. Um, again, just great journeys for what they gave up and sacrificed, but, you know, certainly got some uh, some rewards along the way. How do you assess Aaron's Super Bowl? I mean, it's an understatement to say it's a cutthroat industry over there, let alone for someone like him, who, who in this case was, was he's only needed to execute in this case on the field twice. I mean, they can be, they can be rough in Philly, the fans as well. How did you assess the performance on the day? Uh, yeah, well, it all happened. It all happened pretty quickly. We were just down at a pub watching. Um, didn't look like the ball went exactly where he needed to on the second kick. Mm. Um, the time, I'm again, the timing of it. What do you say? Look, it probably should have been covered overall. And it wasn't. So if you sort of say, okay, it didn't quite go where I needed it to, and the ball wasn't covered, a lot of things. It's easy to blame the punter in that in that instance. Um, yeah. Again, his first kick was good, um, and then the timing of the second one. You know, again, it's uh, down to the wire, and um, you know, there's plenty of things that happen. Like I say, there's plenty of things that happen to to help the result along the way. Um, you can look at a few individual things, and that was probably one of them. That you know people want to look at so um but we know Aaron he's pretty uh, he's a good competitor mm. and uh pretty fierce at what he does um he'll be uh, he'll bounce pretty back from that he'll be fine he will and amazing to think that you know what is it five years after you meet him down at a local park or a footy ground somewhere he's someone who has come full circle the full pro kick circle if you like to to starting to picking up a ball for the first time to now playing in the Super Bowls is everything that your business and your company is all about. So we might go back before we go forward, if you don't mind, Chappie. Yeah, you're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. So Nathan Chapman's sporting journey, well, it started a world away from the NFL and the US college system. So we're going to retrace it next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And we're chatting to former AFL player turned American football punting guru, Nathan Chapman. So, Nathan, I'm going to hazard a guess with you that uh, growing up in Kangaroo Flat, outside of Bendigo there, in the middle of Victoria, you're probably not dreaming of being an NFL punter as a little tacker, are you? Or are you? No, not, well, no, I don't I don't think I was. It was a pretty pretty long way away from I'm not even sure. I knew back then uh, what punting was. I don't even think it was on TV. It might have been on the ABC. They talked about old Don Lane having a show, yep. but I'm not sure I was watching it. Were you a typical young country footy kid, a uh, country Victoria kid, you know, footy in the winter, cricket in the summer and whatever else? Absolutely. Non-stop. It was, it was football and cricket all the way through. Um, never, never took a weekend off. There was always something on. I, I always felt like I went all right at footy and cricket. So the more I could play, the better. It was unreal. Siblings? What what was childhood like? Uh, two older brothers, a younger brother and a younger sister. Mm. Um, pretty competitive, I guess. Um, both older boys were uh, good footballers growing up with them and my younger brothers was about six years younger or seven uh, how old is he and uh i can't remember <laughs> anyway he uh turned out a pretty handy footballer himself but um was always good uh playing alongside my brothers and yeah yeah you know, again grew up having someone to kick to in the backyard and, and mess around with and play cricket and yeah, I remember old, uh, the old man uh we loved our cricket so the old man we used to put us in front of the big uh the big bin that would be the wickets. Um, give us a cricket stump and pelt down uh, golf balls at us. So uh, made sure that we could uh, we could hit the ball. No pads, no helmet, no nothing. And uh, in the balls. backyard was pretty dry ground in uh, Kangaroo Flat. They were pinging off everywhere. So uh, yeah, you got your iron pretty quick. Geez, golf ball to the shins wouldn't wouldn't be too pleasant. <laughs> it didn't matter where he was throwing them. That was that was that was half the fun, right? It was the old man getting one to cop you in the shin. Oh, was so was that's cricket. Was your footy talent immediate? Were you a star junior? Did did the game come naturally to you as a kid? Did you feel? Oh, probably. Look, I grew up before Bendigo. I grew up in a little town called Colburn Abbon, um, just outside of Bendigo, maybe half an hour, forty minutes out. Population was two hundred, and I guess I was there from maybe six till ten of age. And the youngest age group in football was under sixteens. So you know, as a sort of eight year old, you're playing under sixteen. You you had to find your own way to get a kick because they weren't giving it to you. Um, so a couple of seasons, maybe at that level, just probably give me the opportunity to think quicker and have to work it out really quick. As a 10-year-old, then went and moved back to Bendigo to start playing under 10s and under 11s. And it was like, what is this? This is this is kiddie football. I'm not thinking I'm only 10 myself. So... I reckon that the early, which is not allowed these days, right? But they're not going to have a, an eight-year-old playing under 16s. That's not going to happen. Just probably put me ahead of the curve a little bit. And then by the time I was yeah in that under 10, under 12 bracket, I was probably just ahead of the game. And then so by 12, I was playing under 15s. And by 13, playing under 18s. And 15, playing seniors in Bendigo, which country footy in Bendigo was like pretty, it was, she's pretty tough back in the eighties and early nineties. So, um, you know, a really good league. So it probably just meant I had to grow up really quick with it. Um, so if you add in any type of skill and, you know, having that ability, it probably felt like it came easy, but it didn't mean I didn't train hard or have to work hard at it. It was just, I was just probably exposed to it a little bit earlier and from a maturity level, which probably helped. What sort of player were you? Well, 
I always liked to think I grew up as an as an on baller. Um, felt like that was, and I probably played a fair bit of footy there mm. um, uh, growing up. And then, um, yeah, sort of funny, played in an under-15 games one day trying to make the representative team and playing on the wing, played a second game. And I didn't know if I was going okay or not, but played in the second game to get into, the, it was a Victorian team, I think. And uh, they put me at fullback and I'm like, holy shit, I'm at fullback. Right, I'm not making this side whatsoever. And uh, we sort of spoke to one of the, the coaches and he said, no, no, yeah, you're, you're in the team, but we wanted to test some other players out, so we put you down fullback. But I'd played a really good game at fullback and then never left. Played in the Vic team as a fullback and pretty much stayed there. And that's sort of how my career ended up. So I felt like I could always read the ball really well, which helped me as a defender. Mm. Yeah, but then uh, sort of getting drafted and then playing against those the big boys in the AFL as a, as a skinny fella. It, again, it helped me read the ball, but um, I certainly wasn't big enough or strong enough to sort of compete physically with them. So I had to sort of break my game up a little bit and find a way. <laughs> Yeah, so 92 national draft, or AFL draft as it was then known, I think. You go pick two to the Brisbane Bears. So Drew Banfield was one. Did you know you'd go that early? I mean, what do you remember of it? Yeah, yeah. I, from my memory, there was a there was a bit of a – I'd had a chat to the West Coast. I knew they had number one and speaking with the Bears as well. And I remember sort of talking to West Coast and they said, listen, you, we'd like to pick you up, but we want to put you in the twos for a couple of years and build your body up and – so I was I was seventeen. I was seventeen. So when was the draft? November. Yes, yeah. so I would have been seventeen, and I'd been playing senior football in Bendigo against men um, for a couple of years. And I just I knew I could. I felt like I could play. Um, I'd been in some representative teams, and I felt like no, nah, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure that I actually need. I could play the game. Yes, I knew I needed to be um, developed physically, but I knew I was ready to play. And so it was more. It felt like it was. Oh, I'd rather play in Brisbane if because again, they not to say they were on the up. They were, it was like the bad news bears back in those days. Yeah. Um, I knew I was going to play straight away. So I remember hearing my name on the radio in the car. We were just out and about and heard the radio and it all all sort of went through. And yeah, seventeen year old flew up to Brisbane and um and that's where we went. Funnily yeah. enough, I probably should have went to the West Coast and built my body up over two years. <laughs> or maybe I would have gone through. Well, Lepper followed you up there, pick four. So Justin Lepich uh, was in the same draft. Some big names sprinkled throughout. On Martin Pike at nine, Lee Colbert at eighteen, Wayne Campbell twenty three, Damien Hardwick was eighty seven, Scott Burns was ninety. So how were those early days and weeks and months at the Bears? So Robert Walls was your coach, and certainly not someone to be trifled with. What were your impressions of, of Walls' early days? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was pretty. He was pretty hard. He was on a he was on a mission to. Um, bring some professionalism and some hard work into the Bears, that was for sure. You know, if when I look back and have a look at that draft year and even, you know, the Norwich Rising Star nominees that came out that year, unbelievable. Like, so I, very fortunate to be a, amongst those names. I think nearly every one of them has been a head coach since then, except me, of the AFL. <laughs> so it's a talented group of players um, and who've had unbelievable careers um, and good on them. So my journey is obviously went a little in a different direction but um i do look back uh good friends with with a number of them and play golf with leopard still to these days and uh and have a lot of fun so um yeah there's some uh some massive names looking back to go you know what what a great time in my life mm. and that i really enjoyed 
But you mentioned that you're playing back, obviously. So you were listed at 189 centimetres and 83 kilos. And you're playing in an era, the early to mid-90s, where it wasn't like there was a shortage of big bulking spearheads. I mean, it was the era of the power forward. So you were very much thrown into the, pardon the pun, as it would turn out, but the lines down up there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that was my, probably my, that was probably the heaviest I was. So when I started, I was like 77 kilos. Right. So oh, absolute lightweight um, physically. And uh, yeah, I remember, what was it? Maybe, I think, uh, maybe round one, we played North Melbourne. I reckon I was standing next to Alex Ishenko. And then there was, round three was Peter Sumich. And round four was Gary Ablett Sr. And it just went on and on. And it was like, um, I wasn't overawed by it. Again, I'll look back on it and go, boy, here's a challenge this week. Not really, not really knowing how to play. You know, you know, when young players play, they play without fear. And it's, it's a real naivety to us. No, they just play. Okay, I'm against you. Um, and that was probably a real blessing for me in in that sense. But we were, we were also getting beaten sometimes by 10, 15 goals in an era where the forwards were kicking 14s and 15s and Gary Ablett and Tony Locke were kicking and Dyson Dunstall were all kicking 120 goals a year. Unbelievable. So being in, being in an ordinary team and watching that ball come down, certainly uh, you had your work cut out for you. So, yeah. Uh, I didn't. I didn't do much uh, body work. I always waited for a big Richard Champion to come over and help me most <laughs> yeah. of the time. <laughs> so you traded to the Hawks in '97. You returned to Victoria. I imagine there was some form. There were some injuries. I think you had along the the journey as well. And and then you you last the three years. I think at Hawthorne, sixteen games, some more injuries. So when it all comes to an end, particularly when you're a, a high pick, Nathan, and it's reasonable to think that you'll have a long career, and not have to consider you know doing anything else for a while. How confronting was it to be, you know, turfed out for lack of a better phrase and, and wondering what to do next after eight years at the age of 25 or so? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the hardest I think the hardest part about that was feeling like I was giving it a shot but um, wasn't really in the frame of, of getting a game. I, I certainly didn't have a great time at Hawthorne. Um, I didn't get on with uh, – it wasn't, wasn't the greatest relationship with um, old Kenny Judge and – so it sort of set the tone of well, I'm here, but it was really difficult to um, you know get excited about the football when you you sort of felt like you're on you or you're on the outer. And again, hey, there's plenty of guys in, in similar boats. And mm. um, I think one of the I think the the what was the hardest thing is I probably at 25 I felt like I was as you starting to get my man strength. And I was as fitter, stronger, and heavier as I'd ever been. And then I was told I was sort of too old and too slow. I'm like, yeah, but I'm 25. Like, not, I'm not old. I just, but it felt like I'd been in there as a 17-year-old for sort of eight years. All of a sudden, that feels like a long career. So that was probably the hardest thing. I had to walk away from that. Um, to be honest, I walked away from AFL footy for 10 years and never watched a game. Couldn't, couldn't bear to, couldn't bear to watch it. Wouldn't go and watch a training session, you know, where my friend, and the sort of, where, as a, a younger guy moving up to Brisbane, it was sort of where your friendship group became, you know, as a young fella. So anyone you knew was in football and not to be a part of it was actually, was really difficult. Uh, so you deliberately of, just clean break, like uh, yeah. no watching, no nothing. I didn't watch football for 10 years. And so if you sort of think about that from uh, the end of 2000, um, I then got, I played, um, I knew I had to get into something else and I was 25 to 26. I felt physically good and I knew, and again, by by that stage, I'd, I'd actually done a trip to America on a footy trip 
and found out about punting. And so that was, I was probably practicing that. I used to love my torpedoes. So I would practice torps at training all the time. When I'd finished at Hawthorne, I didn't put myself in the draft. You know, I didn't put, nominate, didn't put myself in. I was like, no, nah, I've got to get out of here. This is, you know, mentally not a good spot for me. I need to get out and, and do something else. Um, probably didn't realize sort of how hard that would be. Um, got really upset on a Thursday. Got really upset on a Thursday for five years. And I'm like, why am I always pissed, pissed off on a Thursday? It was like team selection day. And I used to just constantly year after year was not getting selected in even in the squad and the team for the last few years. And I'm like, yeah, not good. How do I redirect what I've got to do? So I'd, I'd put my mind to um, to the punting. And um, once I'd sort of locked in on that, I didn't need to go back and revisit the AFL stuff. So uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a long time before I gradually got back and put it on the TV and started to watch it. We're talking to Nathan Chapman on This Is Your Journey. And it's thanks to Turban Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So from the AFL scrap heap to an exciting new path, Nathan's journey to the US and the pursuit of a punting career is up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is the founder and director of Pro Kick Australia, Nathan Chapman. So, Nathan, you're delisted by Hawthorne. You're wondering what to do next, um, refocusing your energies. Did you mention the torpedo. Were you always – I'm trying to remember. Were you naturally a big kick when you are in the AFL system? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, yeah. I won a sun kick as a 15-year-old. Um, right. I've been to two grand finals. One of them was as a 15-year-old. I was in the sun kick, which is a half-time long torpedo comp. Um, 15-year-old, 67 on the right, 54 on the left. And then, funnily enough, the next time I was at a grand final, that was, uh, that was, um, where, was it West Coast and Hawthorne? And then the next grand final night was West Coast and Hawthorne in about 2000. And yeah, 14, I think. Yep. 14. And I was hosting a long kicking competition as the owner of Pro Kick, so pretty bizarre little um, the way that worked out. But yeah, since sort of winning that award, I knew I could practice it. And then, uh, ironically, in my second game, we're playing Richmond at the MCG, and I've kicked this barrel from about seventy out and kicked a goal. And it was like, if I had a kick, I kicked the goal. Coach then let me, Wolsey then let me continue to kick torps. If I had missed it, I probably wouldn't have kicked another torp in my life. <laughs> so it was 2015, Hawthorne, uh, West Coast, it was that grand final in the end. So out of your AFL career, you, you go back up to Queensland. You, you're juggling time playing for Mount Gravatt up there, but then you're handling punts and kickoffs for the Bayside Ravens in in, in your other. So you, you're dipping your toe in the American football water here. Yeah, so... Went to Brisbane. I was in. Uh, moved back to Brisbane and uh, thought, right, I'm going to give this punting a go. And I knew nothing about it. Or, you know, nothing really about it. I didn't know anyone in America um, at that stage. And I literally was training, playing for Danny Craven at, at Mount Gravatt. Um, and he knew I wanted to do the punting, so I was always I was always practicing the torps. And at lunch times at work, I'd go down and put the boots on and kick some barrels. And I probably I trained for like three years without knowing anyone in America. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I just didn't know how. And again, if you think about emails and, you know, the, the internet back then, she was pretty limited. So, yeah. you know, sending an email and everything else was sent by post, you know, videos and so forth. So I knew I was going to be a part of it. 
um, practiced so much. Thought uh, three years in, I thought this is coming to nothing. So I decided I wanted to take up golf. Um, put the boots away for six months. Um, saved some money to get a golf membership. I thought I can do this. If I train this hard for three years, I'll be 28. I can, uh, you know, like, oh, I was okay at golf. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to join some tour. So like, I just, <laughs> and got a got a, a guy who I'd sent a, an email to or and a video to um, 12 months later said, just said, oh, I just saw your tape. I reckon you can punt. And he said, you should come over. So I- 12 months later. The, so the money I'd saved for the golf membership, I ended up buying a flight to go over to the States. And that's where that all, that's where it all started with the, Who's now a great mentor and, and friend Rick sang it at ProKicker.com, like, and we've been friends ever since. So yeah, jeez, twelve months later. Yeah. Well, what was the explanation for that? The old VHS was just sitting under the desk for a year. I was, I, well, the, he, he actually he sort of said, I, "I got this parcel and I just let it sit there for a while, and he just t- checked it out and watched it." Yeah. Unbelievable. That is amazing. So was it he that hooked you up with the Ray Guy kicking camp? I mean, obviously, for the listeners who are unfamiliar, Ray's obviously a Hall of Famer. Might have been the first punter to be in the Hall of Fame over there. He was with the uh, Oakland and LA Raiders. Was that was that the bridge to get into the Ray Guy kicking camp? Right. So, yeah. So Pro Kicker and Ray Guy are the same. So Rick right. Sang, who owned, who owned it and ran it, ran it with Ray. And so when I – so Rick's watched the film, said, you should come over, and, and Ray was at – and was hosting his camps. So first time I went across there, got to kick with Ray Guy, you know, met him, got me, gave me some tips, went back home and just kept practicing from there and she was back on. So how did you turn the heads of people at the Green Bay Packers? Now I went back through the archives, uh, Nathan, I found this little snippet out of a, out of Green Bay in 2004 and it read, Chapman 28 came to Green Bay after a series of networking events. In December, several officials from Chapman's former team, the Hawthorne Football Club, visited Lambeau Field, met with the Packers front office executives including the director of scouting john dorsey so correct me if i'm wrong you then saw peter schwab interview didn't you or a mate of yours did and schwabby might have mentioned that trip and then what happened then did you seize your moment with dorsey and contact him yeah well yeah okay so i guess this whole thing i um i must thank uh actually justin lepage because i didn't see the interview so that had all happened green bay had gone to hawthorne done a bit of a tour oh it was the other way around green bay had come to hawthorne had i didn't see who went where yeah <laughs> um, and and leper had seen something on tv about it and schwabby was interviewed with the packers and he goes are you're trying to do that punting thing aren't you you should get in touch with the hawk and i went yeah, right. So I contacted Schwabby and, and John Hook at the time and said, hey, listen, do you mind just give me the email and, and a thing and I'll get in touch with John Dorsey, who has gone on to, as he went from a scout to a general manager. So went right up the, and then again, still good friends with John Dorsey. So yeah, so I thank Leopard for, for seeing, the, seeing the interview and then <laughs> telling me about it. And it all started from that. So got in touch. I was just going on a family trip to um I was going on a family trip to Disneyland in like let's say in three weeks' time when I got an email from John Dorsey at Green Bay and said, Hey, we I've just seen your film and we'd like to bring you up to Green Bay. So when you get to LA, don't go to Disneyland, we'll fly to Green Bay and we'll have a workout. And that's pretty much how it happened. So all of the timing of everything just got down to that. Went to Green Bay, got there at 11 o'clock at night, got up at six o'clock in the morning, kicked about a hundred balls and got changed. Dorsey, Johnny Dorsey says, come upstairs. We had some lunch and he said, sign here. Went, okay, <laughs> sign here. Signed a, what was, you know, contracts are different, but 
what was a three-year deal for, I don't know, one and a half million bucks. I'm like, am I just pinching myself here? What's going on? So, yeah, it was a, it was a really bizarre quick turnaround. Um, that's how it happened. Jeez, oh, what a whirlwind. What happened? I, I know you played three preseason games at Green Bay. What happened from there? Why didn't it work out at Green Bay? And you obviously you had a bit of a stint at the Bears as well. Why didn't it quite work out at the Packers? Um, okay, so got... Um, so I went there about March 30, so March 30. Late April was the draft. And so I've gone up, um, and again, their, their scouting for the draft and everything was um, all happening at that stage. So all of the coaches were out looking at players in the draft. They got this, their mind set on drafting a young kid out of uh, Ohio State named um, old mate BJ Sanders. And... Um, so when I got there, I was pretty much at the Packers on my own training. All the coaches were generally away. And so sort of three weeks later from me getting there and no one really knowing who I was, although I'd been signed, they drafted BJ Sanders in the third round. Now, that meant he got a million-dollar signing bonus and his base payment was going to be, you know, 500 grand on top of that. So because the contracts are all different over there, if you're getting drafted in the third round, you're the guy. Mm. Um I hadn't been at any training sessions. I hadn't been able to show them who I was, what I could do. Um, and so it was a bit of, okay, well, this is an inch. This For them, it was probably, well, this is an interesting, this guy can kick. How's it going to play out? Um, come to game time. So did a lot of training. Again, so many things back then, which is why I went on to, to sort of start pro kick and, and help guys do it a little different was, I had to get a, my work visa sorted. Mm. I wasn't technically allowed to train until I had a visa. So we were sort of, I, I was at training, but I wasn't allowed to get as much preparation in training drills to get used to it because I, again, they couldn't pay me. Um, even though there was sort of nothing to pay, they, they couldn't officially say he's on our roster um, or physically involved until we ticked off the, the visa side of things. Um Came home, uh, went back, went to training camp. Um, BJ, again, BJ was going to be the guy. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but again, after I learned about it, after leaving and sort of understanding it a bit better, um, he didn't kick very well. Um, I got put in for a game. Um, I didn't kick too great in my first game. And then... um, you know, and then in essence, they're like, well, we're paying this guy $1.5 million who's not kicking very well. We're going to look stupid if the guy from Australia beats him out. So as soon as I didn't do very well, they said, you're out. They then brought in a veteran and they had two punters on their roster. Um, so it was almost like they've got to find a way to make it work um, and make sure that their draft pick um, mm. I guess comes through to fruition if, if that makes sense. So again, I, I, I don't mind that. A, it led me down the path it did, which is where we are today. So again, I may have had a one, two, three year, four year NFL career and then could have been doing something totally different and pro kick may not have ever started. So all those learning things, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in um, your journey will lead you somewhere and to a lot of different places in your lifetime. So uh, I'm thankful for the time I had there and it got me onto something um, totally different and unique. 
Did it ever. So Nathan's NFL road ends, but he's about to clear the way for others to follow. We're talking to Nathan Chapman on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's more to come right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Our guest today has been Nathan Chapman. So, Nathan, a bit like the AFL rejection, the NFL one says you think sees you thinking of what's next. So, Pro Kick Australia is born out of your experiences there, uh, at the at the top level of American football. But rather than focus on the NFL, you're motivated by the college system, aren't you, when it comes to pro kick and, and that being the better path forward? Yeah. Um, well, again, from a numbers point of view, there's 32 jobs in the world in the NFL. Um, and each year, maybe one or two guys get sort of cycled in and out of the NFL. So to think that we're going to send over 50 guys a year to play in the NFL wasn't going to work. Um, you know, one of the biggest barriers from the NFL was, you know, can you go across there without ever having played the game and, and have longevity and there was some again some massive AFL kicks that that had done that but from from a, an opportunity point of view once once we realized the college system was the better route to go a it got you a, an education and a degree but gave you some game experience gave you the knowledge so that the NFL would look upon your career better as opposed to putting a red flag up and saying well you've never played the game so what what's going to happen in a game we don't know so it took out a lot of question marks um for guys to do so and and certainly certainly there's you know more younger guys you know ready to explore the world um and this this seemed like a really good opportunity so we focused on it when we had chris bryan who we put straight across uh into the nfl um so we started going down that road that road until we had a really good influx of players um getting through the college system and then it was a case of listen even if you played afl now Let's get you to college, get you the game experience because you might end up with a 10-year career in the NFL afterwards. You must see so many hopefuls come through the door. I mean, what's the first thing you look for when a guy just walks in? I mean, is it something technically? Is it pure hang time? Is it now something different in 2023? What? What? Are you, I'm sure you can tell almost straight away whether someone's got it or not. What are the first things you look for? Yeah, well, we get all sorts come down and again, different ages, different sizes, um, different mindset different professional attitude um we all we do an assessment with everyone and see whether they kick you know can you kick 45 50 meters and how high can you kick it over that distance and if you give us uh, what we ask for from a, an nfl college point of view is can you kick 45 yards with 4.5 seconds of hang time and if you can do that you're in a really good spot yeah we're giving a lot more work but given a lot of um it's something that the colleges coaches want to see and are prepared to offer scholarships for. So we use that as our base level and just um, and build guys up from there. So we take, we take, I guess, you don't need to look really, you know, very good. Have you got the power for us to work with that? And then there's the journey of a 12-month, 14-month period of changing some muscle memory and some technical stuff to try and make you more efficient and make that AFL style or power fit into the the US um, you know, kicking mold. So yeah, once we get them down. Um, you, you do generally know pretty quick whether they've got some talent. Um, and certainly, as you say, what used to be mostly the spiral, um, coaches do love the, the Aussie drop punt now. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of changed the game in, in doing having multiple kicks, which means the defense have to think more about what's going to happen. 
and therefore it's not as predictable. So, you know, what used to be catch it, take two steps and kick it, and everyone tries to block that one kick, now you can do something different. So they're on edge a bit more. So the more creative the coach can be is good, but the more creative the coach is, the harder it is for you to do a really good job and be consistent at it. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a two-edged sword there, but um, there's certainly so much more to it. You mentioned the word there, consistent. Now, when they're in the college system, whether they make it or not, is it down to just, is consistency the typical reason they don't make it? They've just got to keep doing it on repeat, and if they can't, that's one of the big drawbacks? Yeah, uh, it certainly helps. Um, some coaches use the, the spiral for every kick, and the spiral's hard, different wind conditions. Imagine every kick at... Mm. Every kick from 40 metres out had to be a spiral for goal. It doesn't matter where the wind's blowing or whatever. So it's really difficult um, to be consistent at it sometimes when your coach has never kicked a ball in his life. You just do your job and that's the mentality of them. Like, I'll teach everyone to protect you and run down the field, but you're, you're the one kicking the ball. You need to do your job perfectly. Um, you're, you're the start of your the start of your career when these guys get to college. Yeah, that consistency is key because it means a coach is going to put you in and play you, and then you get comfortable, and then you grow off on your confidence, and then your career can flourish. But yeah, if you if you start ordinary, um, coach is looking for a replacement really quickly, and it's um, <laughs> it, there's a lot of pressure on the guys who go over there. And I'm sure you ride every kick as much as anyone. I mean, before, we're just about out of time, but you, you must take enormous satisfaction or pride or joy about watching these guys. You it must, when you see them over there in the NFL and, and in Aaron Sipos's case, playing in the Super Bowl uh, a, a month or so ago, thinking back to 2017 when he just came in for that first kick, it must it must bring you enormous satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, uh, it really does actually. Um, yeah, watching the uh, there's a lot of games to watch on a weekend, so I've had to modify exactly how much time I spend watching. Um, I've got this saying: if it's good, if if you do something good. It'll end up on social media. And if you do something bad, it'll end up on social media. So I get to see everything, right? So it's a, it's a bit of a, a yin and yang to, um, you know, you gotta, if you're going to watch the good stuff, you have to watch the bad stuff and then work on your craft. But ab- absolutely, looking back on some of the journeys of guys who, you know, sacrificed, didn't know where they were going, didn't know what they were going to do after either work or footy or schooling careers to come in and, and watch them blossom, go over there and kick and watch them on TV, watch their families go across and travel and, and get all around the game and, and really, you know, get involved in the system over there. And again, it's one of the most joyful things. And to be honest, watching them at the end of their four-year career at college and hold up that piece of paper with a degree and a smile mm. on their face. But some of these guys have never completed year 10. And now they've got master's degrees. It's unbelievable. What a great feeling. That's a good thing to point out, aside from the football, of course. Hey, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, it is amazing to think back over what you've been able to do with your career on the field, off the field, and obviously everything in between. So now under ProKick, there's a generation of would-be pro athletes being given the best possible chance and also, as we say, the education to go with it. So congratulations on everything you've done and everything you're going to do. And thanks again for sharing it with us. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, mate. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.